and welcome to Living Being. I'm Verity Shubb. I'm Chris Park. And I'm Patrick Randall. And this is the podcast where we just celebrate everything and anything that is bee-related. And we've been loving getting all the feedback from you listeners. Thank you so much for liking us. We're on Twitter now. We're on Facebook. We've got quite a lot of likes, really. It's been lovely sharing sharing it all. So please do keep all of that coming and, uh, yeah, share it amongst your friends, please. Let everybody know. So any bee moments this week? Yeah, I've been really noticing different species of bee. Um, earlier in the spring, I was looking to see what kind of bees there were. I really, this is the interesting thing here is that it's, it's identifying these these different bees is so hard. You've got a book that's oh, God, it's like a doorstop for the amount of bee species there are. I've got a great book, but I'm... Um, I'm, field guide yeah it? but i'm self-confessed non-scientist so um sometimes things are a bit overwhelming anyway i've been looking at this bee um which i think according to the book is called uh nomada marshmallow or something it's not the marshmallow bee oh. but it's <laughs> it's um it's something Disney. called martian's bee martian's bee and it actually looks a bit like a, more like a wasp Okay. Uh, and then you look at it, and you looked at it earlier in the year, and then it's come back again for some reason. Um, what, in the garden, you mean? Well, no, it's, it's on a bank near, near nearby, and uh, like a nice south-facing bank. It looks like it's a mining bee. And then it comes back because it t- turns out to be a, a kleptoparasite of, of another bee, which I believe it, it means it appears when there's, a, when there's another bee species, ah. and it sort of lives off that other bee lays its eggs and and it's a mining bee and it's all my point really is that it's really hard it's really hard it's really hard to identify yeah these bee the bee yeah. this bee in particular looks a bit like a tiny wasp and then you it's got all the little markings on it and you know you look and you it, i did actually find a dead one and you, you look at that under the lens and then you kind of aren't really sure because it's so similar to about six other yeah, species. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you I, go in for BID, Chris? Well, we've got one of those field studies charts that I open out and show the kids, but it's not a massive, you know, there's a couple of minor bees on there, a couple of all the bumblebees and, and some different card bees. I've got one card, someone gave me once gave me a card they were doing a study on the, is it the shrill cardaby? It's meant to be quite rare. So every time I say a cardaby, I'll go and sort of scrutinise it and have a look. But it's, it's not it yet. Mm. I think they're yeah. down in Hampshire. And so that's something to look out for, isn't it? The shrill cardaby. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who would be really glad to know to know that you've seen one. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a huge area. And, and uh, I suppose not being a layman, but what you can look for is um, if, you've got the, if you've got a book or something that helps you a bit, First thing to do is, am I looking at a, you know, a, a particularly rare bee that no one's found in 10 centuries, you know, and obviously you're not. So you, you're mistaken. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of funny looking things on flowers, aren't there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so you, can, you think, oh, what on earth is that? Yeah. yeah. So I quite often look to see if it's um, if it's said to be common. And then, if it's said to be common, then you're obviously looking at something you potentially are looking at the right thing, and also the the right area, because my little book here has got a map of 
of the UK and sort of mm. the hot the hot spots for it. And the, and the third What's thing. What's the name is, of that book? Uh, it's by um, Stephen Falk, and it's um, it's got lovely illustrations by Richard Lewington. What's the and title? It's called, it's called the Field Guide to Bees, mm. the Field Guide to the Bees of Great Britain and Ireland. And it's a brilliant book, and it's got pictures and it's got a kind of plates um, in there so you can really just see the body of the bee and really identify all the all the colours on it and stuff. And uh, just going back to Bridget Strawbridge who we started this series with didn't we know her lovely knowledge on everything and her book Dancing with Bees there's a chapter in there where she talks about this um, I think when she first got into it all um, and she felt like you're saying completely overwhelmed and she found that Twitter was her friend you know so she's got into taking a photograph and, you know, if you make yourself part of that community on social media and actually put social media to use, yeah. she's found all sorts of people coming forward and saying, oh, actually, that's a I mean, even if it isn't correct, it's going to point you in the right direction uh -huh. in the first place, isn't it? Rather than just looking at an entire book and think I don't quite know where to start. No, it's true. That is true. Yeah, the hive mind on social media. Exactly. Like, like the wisdom yeah. of yeah. the crowd is meant to be <laughs> better than just our own educated opinion you know consult the crowd and it has a wiser wiser uh, way of being apparently yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely um, and i came across a fascinating picture i don't know who posted it actually this week of the green-eyed flower bee have you ever seen that one? Oh, i saw the picture oh, yeah. just a beauty have you seen that one chris i haven't i, I may have seen a photo is yeah, well, that's what I UK? mean. That's what I mean. It was just a photograph made. Somebody obviously really knows what they're doing uh -huh. with the camera. Yeah, yeah, in the UK. But just a gorgeous thing with massive, great, like, specks on in this kind of um, <laughs> emerald green. It's just great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this week on Living Being, um, we are going to talk to you, Chris. You are, <laughs> you are the guest. Hello. <laughs> guest of honour. <laughs> Hello. Um, so, and we're going to talk about mead, right? What is it? Mead. Yes. Mead is very simply water and honey that's fermented into a kind of wine. So it's like a honey wine. And there are some cultures where the word for honey and the word for mead is the same word. You know, they don't make a distinction, but it's just a different type of honey. And some places where honey is considered to be more of a medicine than a, than a food... The uh, people will often purchase honey not to eat but to turn into a mead and then to drink it. And it's a magical substance. It has so many, and if you look back in folklore and mythology, so many different epithets like the mead of knowledge, the mead of inspiration, the mead of poetry, and the, the sovereign drink, and the mead of everlasting life. You know, there are mm -hmm. so, many, so many good reasons to make it and drink it, especially if you're a beekeeper. It's a no-brainer after your honey harvest. But, but you this. say honey and water. I mean, there's more to it than, than literally just putting honey into water, right? There's a fermentation. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a bit pokey, isn't it? It's got some uh, alcohol um, yes. strength. Yes, so it's fermented. It's like making a country wine, but without sugar and without the fruit. Well, you can put a fruit in and... A fruit juice and becomes a melamel. So very simply, my mead making technique, and I suppose I've learnt I've learnt a bit of brewing from. But my grandfather was a brewer. He always had things bubbling away, wines, not necessarily some ales, you know, parsnip wine and chicken bone wine. <laughs> he made one of, and he, he there's this great story when he was a schoolboy. He used to come home from school and he'd procrastinate a bit because he didn't want to get a clip round the ear or to be sent to the field to 
pick stones out of it. So I'd always wander about and he'd always need a wee when he came home from school and he'd go behind his shed and there was a, a kind of basin there and he'd have a wee in it and it was full of old bits of old vegetables and old fruit and all that kind of stuff. And one day he came home from school and it had gone. <laughs> and he said to his dad, where's it gone? He said, oh, we made it into wine. No. It, <laughs> but that's, but that, that's uh, had some good nutrients in it. And, and it helps if you put some nutrients in with the, the honey and water as well. It helps the fermentation and maybe some, some citric acid or, or lemon rind or a bit of lemon juice or something. But what like do you that. mean so, by nutrients, not urine? Well, here, I mean, my great grandfather's that batch of wine obviously had some good urine in it for its <laughs> nutrients, but 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 uh, I, I've never I've never gone that far. <laughs> so you can add nutrients to your mead must, and it helps the fermentation. It broadens the palate, and it makes the fermentation a bit more vigorous. And so, what I would suggest if you're a beekeeper is to put pollen in, you know, a teaspoon of pollen or bee bread, which is slightly different to pollen because the bees have uh, they've done they've worked their magic on it they've slightly fermented it and mixed it with enzymes and packed it into the cells in the hive and it's uh they've broken down the hard outer casing of the tiny tiny pollen grains which are microscopic they've you imagine it's like a a walnut case and to help the young larva absorb the maximum nutrition from the pollen the bees mix it with enzymes and slightly ferment it and it breaks down that outer nutcase of the tiny microscopic pollen grain and they get more nutrition. How do you spot that in the hive? What does it look like, the bee bread? Oh, if you look at a frame of brood, there's generally pollen around the outside of the brood. There'd be different colours, you know, some purple, yellow, black, white. And opposite, the opposite frame will have brood, have opposite the brood that will have pollen on as well. In the hexagonal cells, they're packed in. And you can you can fork it out with a, with a knife, or you can, uh, if you wanted to harvest it, if you wanted to harvest a lot of that, you'd have to take a frame out and put it in the freezer and, and do all sorts of things. But it's, uh, yeah, you just need a, a little nib on the end of a teaspoon to put into your mead must. It's a great nutrient. And most citric acid is, comes from a, this black, gloopy, genetically modified organism. If you if you're going to buy citric acid, and if that's not appealing to you, it's not appealing to me, then I would rather go for your trustworthy slice of lemon, <laughs> or a bit of pear juice, or a bit of apple juice, or something, just to just to help. And then some people like to put tannins in, so perhaps some people might put a tea bag in or something again to broaden the the flavour. And it's about you know for a sweet mead, you'd you'd have about four to five pounds of honey per gallon demijohn and for a dry mead about three pounds of honey a hydrometer is a good thing to have which will tell you you know if you if you make mead from your wax cappings which are when you harvest honey from a, a movable frame hive you slice off the wax and the honey is spun out in a centrifugal spinner and so you have a lot of these wax cappings that have been dripped perhaps let to drain the last bits of honey out and then that i put into the mead vat and all the wax floats to the top after a couple of days and the mead is absorbed into the water. And of course, you don't know your measure. So then you put your hydrometer in and it tells you your ratio of, of honey to water. In olden times, they used to use an egg. <laughs> and when it floated to the size of a groat of it floated above the water, then that was when you, when you started your mead. So you're looking for the water to uh, become less. 
presumably, over time. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So over time, the sugars turn to alcohol. Modern mead makers tend to put in a sachet of yeast to control the flavour. Normally a sparkling yeast, a champagne yeast or, or hobbyists were white wine yeast. So they would boil the must and then put in the yeast. And I don't do that for some reason. It just feels wrong to boil honey because <laughs> yeah. it's got so much goodness and so many good enzymes and, and health giving properties in there that I just warm it. And, a, and a, it's like a, like a sourdough bread. I, I, it's like a wild fermentation. Like the ancient Vikings and Celts used to make their means. They didn't pop down to your chemist and buy a sachet of yeast. They, they invoked the gods and they would come in, and they would also have this special stick that they would always stir the mead vat with. It'd be a wooden stick and that would have magical power. And of course, modern science tells us today that that magical power is the yeasts that are built mm. up mm. on that stick over many years. So they, that stick... Have you got a stick? stick Yes, <laughs> and it's a, and it, we we don't have a dishwasher, so so that's important. If you if you uh, determine your mead making stick, we've got, it's a large wooden spoon that I use. Don't ever let it get put in a dishwasher because mm. you'll kill all the magical power on it and have to build up more, or even wash it at all. Uh, yeah, you can rinse it, of course. Yeah, it's important when you're making mead to to wash your equipment. Or you could say sterilize your equipment. I always use spring water for mead. I think that has a, the way that meets the tongue and the body is a, a silky smoothness compared to tap water. I'd encourage spring water, you know, like a good single malt. They're always made with spring water, aren't they? Mm. Mm. And, that's, that, and then how so, long are you waiting? Well, the magic number is a year and a day, I suppose. <laughs> you, can, you can start to drink it after, say, six months, but it might be a bit young. I mean, I've got some here. <laughs> Let me just uh, hang on a minute. Let me just uh, open this one. So this one is this one is a. Um, when did I make this? I must have made this last summer. It's a methaglin, which is different to mead. Methaglin. It's a it's a Welsh derived word. It comes from two roots: methagog, which is a a physician or a doctor, and clin, which is liquor. So literally translated, it's a healing liquor or the, the physician's lake or the or medicine. It's a, one here. A methaglin is different to mead because it's infused with herbs. Okay. And or spices. Herbs, Most modern meth. Mm. Sorry? Like healing herbs. I mean, I suppose. Yes. Healing yes. Herbs, healing yeah. herbs. Or yeah, most herbs have some mm. medicinal value and or spices. And. So this one's a nice... I've opened one of these already. It's a self-heal methaglin. And well, this is like the worst thing, isn't it, doing, for, the, doing this at, at, at distance? You know, this whole sort of lockdown way of recording <laughs> programmes. This is probably... Yeah, <laughs> this is killing. Thing. I can hear it pouring beautifully out oh, there. I'll bottle. save your bottle. That's really nice. <laughs> and that's, on, and the right. longer you leave it in the bottle, the better it gets. Yeah. That's so good. So, so, just, so, so, so describe it. Describe that taste. I mean, it's chilled, which is good. It's slightly tart. It's got a a honey taste. Obviously, it's it's dark. It's been darkened by the self hill, which is which is a small dark plant with a purple flower. And it's the way it's kind of I can feel it effervescing through my body 
like relaxing every cell that it meets mm -hmm. slowly of my shoulders are relaxing it's going down into my stomach and moving through down my body it's just, just gorgeous so it's, it's got quite a quite a dry taste on the nose <laughs> i've never done this before uh on, on the nose that's what they say don't they when they sit in the they nose do <laughs> it's very professional on the nose, it's it's smoky it's got that smoky almost burnt smell to it mm. Mm. but what you were saying just now actually because when i've been you know I've, time. yes you've very very you've been very kind and 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 given me some mead and uh, we've drunk it together and uh, it's been it's been delicious and the, the the point you made there which is that you it does it's unlike other alcohols when you sip it it seems to sort of numb you and so and it kind of, well, <laughs> not, 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 not completely though. numb you but if it, it's but, well made patrick i would say yeah so it, i mean some meads just give me a stomachache they're too sweet they oh, taste right. of raisins and you can taste the the industrial yeast that they've put in and there's n there's nothing quite like a, a mead that you've made with your own honey yeah. or honey from a beekeeper that you know and trust and spring water from a good source of source that you trust and perhaps some herbs that you've plucked from your garden mm. and with the wild yeast in from from your home you know unless your home is is a cattery then i would i think that'd be fine just to leave the must covered with a tea towel for a few days especially this time of year and the wild yeast come in and it just starts to work mm. yeah and some people don't like to do that because they think it could it's risky but i've never had a bad Made the worst thing that can happen is that you you end up with a gallon of artisan vinegar, you know. So the what my granddad used to call the vinegar fly gets in and and turns it to vinegar, and that's um, mm. you only ever do that once. <laughs> so you, you've got to keep your levels topped up. It is. It's different, and I think that's a spring water, Patrick. And, and of course you and of course honey, the yeah. honey that you that you've harvested and and have put in the right amount and not mixed it with. I don't, am I being facetious or, or cynical? But you know glucose syrup or corn syrup or whatever i don't know the law on mead and labeling and some of them just taste like they're maybe have a little bit of honey in and made with syrups i don't know yeah and certainly but having been to the, the honey show which we mentioned before on this on this uh podcast a number of times um you know that's all about showing the uh, honey and showing it off and um and, and often the hun honey's being very filtered and, and also heated as you said uh yeah and the same with the mead in a sense that you're you're basically you're looking at these crystal clear bottles you could virtually you know you can see the other side of the room through the bottle uh that's, that's a right. real criteria of it isn't it but i know that your your mead you know is, is quite often um cloudier like a, a kind of yes well like, cider, Actually, the, like the difference yeah, between the, it is yeah. I mean, the one I've just opened, the self-heal methaglin, is is crystal clear. You know, I can see see through it and then out the window into the world. And that has something to do with, with the herb itself. Oh, right. And there are some herbs that were traditionally used as hops that have that clarifying action. For example... Excuse me. For example, ale hoof, <laughs> which is a... <laughs> which is... Which is a, so a, ale hoof is... Um, also known as ground ivy, not ground elder, ground ivy. And it's a, yeah. a ground-hugging, lovely kind of horseshoe-shaped, pungent, astringent herb. And it's, yeah. it's really nice in a, in a methaglin and a mead. And it used to be used as hops. That's where the name alehoof comes from. And that, so that can clarify a, a bottle. And the longer you leave your mead, 
it will shed what we call the lees at the bottom, L-W-E-S, which is like all dead yeast and bits and pieces and pollen and stuff. And that sinks to the bottom and then you rack it off, siphon it off into another uh, container, top it up so it doesn't oxidise and turn to vinegar. And then the more you do that, the, the more clear it gets. Mm. And perhaps, yes, and, and some of them stay cloudy. And I, and I don't mind that because I think the more you filter, the more you strip away the, the, the health-giving tonic values of of the stuff and yeah. and a pollen rich mead so there there's a lovely old saying and that's mead is as strengthening as meat can you say that mead is as strengthening as meat mead isn't is that as great and, as and pollen that bee meat? pollen yeah and bee pollen per per gram or whatever has more uh protein than beef you know and oh, and so funny. if you're making a mead what we call a complete hive mead which is how, as you know, I'm a skept beekeeper and keep bees on many different things, but I really love ancient styles of beekeeping. And, and what I learned from that is that when you make mead, you don't just use honey that's separated from the brood box spun from a super. You, you might take out a frame that's all capped honey on one side, but the other side is capped honey mixed with bee bread and pollen and more propolis and, and perhaps some other medicines of the hive. And so a, this saying i think mead is a strengthening as meat comes from an old old time when mead was pollen rich and i think it's the pollen that is doing a lot of the um a lot of the the nutrition and the strengthening in from times of old so i always like to make these slightly bittersweet pollen rich meads sometimes it, not always actually but a lot of the time i like to i love to do that mm. to get all of the all of the goodness and and perhaps a few bits of propolis and other things in there. Not not brood, really. I wouldn't put the brood in. That would be a bit meaty, wouldn't it? But <laughs> uh, So, yes, so the, I make so many different batches, so many different methaglins and different meads. Yeah. And true to that old story of that, that mouse trying to change its shape into another thing, he went to see this this wizard, didn't he? And he, he, all the labels had fallen off his potions. And <laughs> so I, they always get mixed up. So you don't label yours? I, I've got a good memory, so I know I try to. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what I've only just learnt <laughs> is that the best way to label a, a demijohn is not to stick a label on it, is to have a tag on a piece of string tied to the to the, the kind of um the handles. Yeah. Uh, because when you rack it off you have to get that label off and onto the new demijohn. You can just take the tag off and stick yeah, it yeah. on. Yeah. Like that. So, uh, so if methaglin you say is this is is medicinal, more medicinal than than other meads. So meth so so do, is it do you take it when you've got some ailment or do you take it as a medicine, you know, as a regular thing as a way of both. Kind of just yeah, so it can be growing. prophylactic, it can be it can be a tonic that you just reach for. So there's this famous methaglin that the Burgermeister of Antwerp used to drink. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. So his lady's methaglin or something like that. And, and he used to have it. He was used to toast with it. You know, toast people's health with it and drank it. I taught every. You know, he lived a ripe old age in ninety one, and uh, never got too obese, and apparently uh, had a child every year. <laughs> but but uh, but uh, I don't know how many wives he went through. And uh, so so uh, so it can be drunk as a tonic, but it also different small batches can be made so you can make a very astringent batch for your stomach or you can make a very euphoric kind of flowery batch for your mind or you can even go into realms of prophecy and uh, ancient entheogenic herbs like uh, don't do this at home folks but you know like 
like henbane and other other slightly Which is poisonous. more magical brews. Yes, you, you yes, it is poisonous. But the, these and mistletoe again, you know, which most people say is poisonous. But mistletoe again, if you can infuse the aerial parts, but but obviously not the berries. And yeah, so there are there are other avenues of slightly like witches brews and flying ointments and all these other things that that I've experimented a bit with, but obviously can't can't um, recommend to anybody. At home. <laughs> you need, you don't mess with those those uh, you don't mess with Madame Henbane. No, all those kind no. of plants. But but it's fascinating because there was a in the archaeological record back in the Neolithic age, which is a very long time ago, <laughs> and, and uh, is before before well we had started farming then, and interestingly there's a lot of evidence that we that there was much resistance to to uh, settling down in the in the early Neolithic era. Uh, and but we did you know we ended up we settled down and we started farming and we started having territory and in the stone circle in scotland in balfog there's a pot shard that had contained uh, the pollen of meadowsweet and henbane and some some honey of course uh, and some malted grain and that would be a braggart which is a kind of mead that's also got some sweetness from malted grain in and Meadowsweet is where most of the world's aspirin is mm. harvested from, mm. and and it's a beautiful creamy herb, really good for you. And and henbane is is like like the opposite of her. She's she's witchy and dark and prophetic and narcotic and and can <laughs> can put you in a coma. Can you could kill you if you mistake mistake her for cabbage, but has this lovely smell. And and they're both uh, and traditionally it's used as an anaesthetic or a an analgesic or antispasmodic, and in very but was used as herb as hops. The word pilsner comes from henbane. And and so those two mixed together, I've experimented with these brews of henbane and meadowsweet in a mead, and those two mixed together have this kind of tempering action on each other, and it's a uh, I mean I've got a bit here, and it's um. It's very good, a very good nightcap, I would say, mm-hmm. because of all those anaesthetic qualities, all those anaesthetic qualities. Do you wake up in the morning? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> you hope you do. Yeah, with great dreams and, and, yeah, yeah. and having visited all my otherworldly friends for, throughout the evening. So, the, yeah, these meats are ceremonial. That pot shard, that, that vessel, you know, from the Neolithic age, from that stone circle, could have, who knows, could it have been a magical brew, some kind of ceremonial drink, um, medicinal, obviously they knew what they were doing, mm. and uh, or tonic, or, I mean, henbane is used a lot for toothache in folk remedies as well. So if you think, there's a lovely phrase, looking to the past to look to the future. And if you think about pre-industrial cultures using these, and having that great knowledge, like folks do in indigenous communities in the Amazon, are surrounded by thousands of thousands of different plant medicines that they, that they they know and use very well. And here we seem to have lost that. So I'm mm. just looking forwards to a, a mm. post-industrial mm. era, and knowing that knowledge and and good practice mm. with these herbs is going to be really important. I think. Has there ever been any kind of scientific, you know, because that's what people will want, won't they? Well, they want kind of 
scientific facts about the 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 medicinal qualities of mead. You know, they don't want to just go on folklore. I don't, I'm sort of they. I'm sort of othering the people. But you know, do you know what I mean? It, that's the sort of society that we've we've come to trust things that are in packets with labels on, yeah. not things well, that are growing outside our front door. So, is there any no. scientific proof that mead and I guess hive products in general have, you know? provable medicinal quality um uh, you know um, yes um, yeah yes there are reams and reams and reams of papers and abstracts and documents and, and studies and research done on all hive products by you know ap medicine ap therapy ap suticals all these things for many many years and but in this country we're not allowed to say it <laughs> we're, not, we're not allowed to say because of the is it the advertising standards agency um you, you can't call it uh, medicine you can't call it that you can't say that it heals uh, because that's against the law, um, but but we know it does, you know. So it's a, it's a, that uh, perhaps that law needs to change, or something needs to so change. So in Germany you can, or Scandinavia you can, and here you can't. Is it is it as brutal as that? I think so. I don't know. I, I couldn't vouch for which countries no, no. Uh, have a similar guidelines to us, but mu- much of the research is done abroad, um, China, Russia, yeah, Canada, France, Romania. Uh, many different countries, and of course some here too. And Cardiff University ha- ha- looked into uh, various different honeys in in very recent history, and to see if you know how similar they are to manuka honey, for example. Looking at heather honey has a very very strong reputation going back through the folk folk archives as well, and and and, and borage honey and thyme honey and you, you know, general you sort of Welsh wildflower honey. And many of these things are just as good for us as as the manuka honeys, and uh, you know, and, and they all have you know they all have slightly different different uses, I suppose. And and when you put add them into a mead, and and a mead putting it into a mead is a bit like, you know, a way of keeping those herbs through the winter months because it preserves them in a in a in a mild alcoholic solution, yeah, which is tasty, yeah. You know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, and but it's honey, and you know, refined sugar is is like terrible compared to honey. You know, you, you can't compare the two. Actually, you know, just very you know, some very simple things. So, I mean, refined sugar is a bit like it's so demonised and rightly so at the moment, and you know, causing so many so many disorders in in our life and our children's lives, and it's habit forming. But honey isn't, and and you don't re- instantly reach for some more because you are. You you have gained nutrition and goodness from it, and it's Satiated. honey is, is yeah. acidic. Yes, mm. yeah, and honey is acidic, but it's actually alkali promoting within the body, and so so many good things about it compared to sugar. I'm a strong believer in the theory that the word medicine comes directly from the word honey. I mean, the old words for honey were med, and in, in, look at Europe, mil, miel, mit, miod, uh, madu is the ancient Sanskrit root of it all. And then it changed to Hornig with the Anglo-Saxon tongue uh, because it's yellowish. And Hornig means, just means yellowish. But all the ancient mm words. Yeah. And the word methaglin, which literally translated is, is a healing brew or, or yeah. medicine. And I, I, so I subscribe to that theory that honey is the root of the word medicine. So do you think it was, so is there proof that it was really one of the, one of the earliest alcohols? I mean, one of the earliest before... Yes, I think so. I mean, even before we were making it, Mother Nature was making it. You know, yeah. So I've got this lovely kind of romantic vision of monkeys and apes and early humanoids 
hanging around a tree that with bees in and a honeycomb falling out and landing in the well of an ancient tree with you know rainwater in there and fermenting or just you know and as you know patrick if if you if you take off honey before it's capped it does ferment yeah yeah because and, and so so the bees remove and when the you look at honey hunters in other in other cultures hunting honey from perhaps the cliffs of nepal or somewhere they'll be cutting off honey they don't care whether it's capped or not and then they take it home and it will ferment you know and then they'll have this mead like brew so i have this you know vision of of early hominids and bears and, and other creatures, mammals sort of sipping away at the mead in the well of the tree and, and becoming inspired by it. So the mead of inspiration, that epithet, remember, I think this this dynamic equilibrium between us and honeybees has aided our evolution. Over thousands of years, we've been living and respecting and revering and seeing bees as deities for many, many, many years. And, and we can still have that view of them and especially the mead, it's it, it is magic. Think of Getafix and you know in the in the Asterix comics <laughs> yeah. and his magical brew. You know it's magic. Yeah. It's, especially when you put the herbs. Maybe in, that was methaglin. Maybe that is mead. Sorry. Maybe maybe Getafix's drink is mead. Of course. Yeah, with mistletoe and all sorts of other things in there. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, it was often used in honey. The word honeymoon and in ceremony and first rites and and last rites and so honey is there all through our lives at naming ceremonies and births i mean now the guidelines are you can't give honey to an infant under one year old but traditionally uh, a midwife that'd be the first thing they gave to a baby would be this little sort of thumbnail of honey because it's gone through an ordeal and the mother would get um, this drink called cordial which is like a hot mead with spices in when she's in her bed rest and, and and then you know at the end of your life you might not be able to eat or chew and you might be sipping honey or being given honey and you know if you died abroad you might be even embalmed with with honey to get home and, and at these moments in our life when we get married honey is there for the honeymoon and in some cultures you know the, the door would be the door frame would be smeared with honey as the, the couple came back into the abode and and even so it's and it's always been part of family planning so mead has this this kind of uh and it's the pollen really that's doing the kind of the sexual health work about it and paradoxically the ancient egyptians used it as a spermicide as a as a contraceptive so it's always been around in these sort of seminal moments yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, our, of our lives <laughs> and uh uh, oh, amazing, long, may it, long may it do so yeah, it, yeah. it is a great drink yeah yeah. yeah. well I recommend I thoroughly recommend anybody um, having a go at making it has a go at making yeah, it yeah 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 so, so we're talking now in July and obviously honey harvesting has been well spring honey harvesting has been done and, and, and you're doing a bit more aren't you um, soon Patrick is that right I'm not quite sure of the, the actual calendar but anyway but is, is, is now the time to be mixing the mead and you know be a year and a day Yes, springtime is is one traditional time to start your mead because you've got the the kind of waxing power of nature and, and, and of course the warmth and the sun to help it go. And But another traditional time is of course at, just after the honey harvest when you have all these wax cappings. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so when you take off your, I don't know when you're going to harvest Patrick next, maybe Probably the first the week month of August, or, yeah. a lot of people do it this day and age. Yeah. Uh, but sometime in August when you've, when you've made your harvest then... Then have a go at making me. You know, I'll be on the phone, or I could come and help. 
Oh, I love it. There's a brilliant triad. So triads are these mnemonic devices from the ancient Druidic Celtic traditions of Britain. Uh, they're like keys that unlock a whole load of folklore. And one of them is the three medicines of the world. That's water, honey and labour. Ah. And, and, and it's magic because if you put those three things together, what do you get? Mead. Mead, yeah. So, of course, you know, water is good for us. You know, the, the people who wrote this down are the, the physicians of Muthfai, the Methagog Muthfai. That's uh, easy for you to say. Uh, uh, from Wales, these, 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 this folk, traditional folk herbalists. And uh, it's also one of their remedies. Was with the three remedies of these physicians of Muthfai is water, honey and labour. And they also said if your urine is, runs clear, then the physician is, is unemployed. <laughs> and honey and honey we know how good honey is, is for us and, and a bit of cardiovascular but then put put these three things together and that triunic wisdom gives us mead yeah and uh i'm now on the uh this is the um <laughs> borage and saint john's wort methaglin <laughs> which uh, there's a there's an old adage that the medicine that's most ripe for you in the moment is the one that's right underneath your feet. And, and last year and the year before, we had a field full of borage growing. So I had to make some borage mead and, and St. John's wort. They're both nerve relaxing sedatives. And, and uh, this is very nice. Hmm. Well, well, Chris, we'll, we'll leave you <laughs> drinking <laughs> your mead. <laughs> Are you still upright? You kind of. Yes, I'm inspired. You know, the, the other epithet, the mead of inspiration and how it just think of think of the mellifluous mead amused bards of ancient britain supping on these magical brews from a from an ancient horn of an ox passing it round in a circle having spout you know in, uh, receiving the omniscient poetry of the gods and and the healing for their tribes and yeah. so i'm in that kind of mood at the moment great go and put it to good <laughs> use yes. somehow <laughs> and it's not too strong you know if you make a wild fermented mead it's only it will only get to about nine percent at most, so it's not something you drink and get really drunk yeah. on. It's something you okay. you drink as a tonic and then can still function in, in the world. You know, it's nice. not a, yeah, but it's yeah. a relaxing. I, I'm feeling more yeah, relaxed just thing. listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll look forward to receiving our bottle as and when. Yep. But fascinating, yes. Chris. Absolutely fascinating. And this, oh, I think this is a subject that will come up more and more on the podcast anyway, won't it? But um, yeah, for now, that's a great beginner's there's, guide. There's to much me. more to say on the matter. Yeah, so, yeah. But, let's revisit but for now, it at some point. For now, all, yeah. all, all, we can, all we can say is that have a go at making some. Yeah. That's really... You, and then you're, you've suddenly part of this ancient tradition of the Isles of Britain and the world, you know, and beyond this, this ancient drink that's actually good for you. Mm. It's, a, it's a blessing. Yep. And is there a word that one says when one's taking a slurp? You know, it's not cheers. Slangivar, uh, uh, as they say, or yachida, or, or okay. slangivar. All right, good. Right. Lovely. Fantastic, Chris. Well, um, lots of uh, interesting people coming up on the next few episodes of Living Being. So, um, yeah, as we said earlier in the programme, you know, follow us, subscribe to us. Look at the website, livingbeing.com, because we always put lots of stuff on there about the things we've been talking about. And we try and simplify the, the the terminology that that might be a bit, I don't know. Bewildering. Bewildering at times. Perhaps. I so certainly for the, hopefully we're doing a good yeah. job. I mean, not not for this one. Know. Are you yeah. feeling bewildered? Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> 
but certainly for for some of the aware with some of the beekeeping yeah elements we but don't... i just like to say that i am not a beekeeper so i'm with with anybody out there who's thinking i'm not a beekeeper and this isn't for me so i just think there's so much beyond well the beyond the honeybee anyway i mean this yeah. is a place where we're talking about all bees obviously with mead and honey we're talking about the honeybee but yeah. there are many bees out there to be uh delighted by can i say for people that Maybe I haven't realised, I don't know, that, that Verity is an amazing grower and she's just green fingered well, and she can just, her, her, it's just burgeoning. So you are surrounded by bees and flowers. Yeah, and, so. I've, and I'm increasingly getting fascinated by this idea of plants that heal. And so for us, you know, because yeah. Patrick and I live together, she's bringing these two things, bees and plants that heal belong together, it seems to me. So well, it's a lovely way to um, sort of find a focus for for a garden, actually, which is uh, mm. yeah, because mm -hmm. all those herb plants, all those herb plants, mm. the bees love they love foraging on mm. them. So the honey's already got them. And isn't the that so the... telling that those the plants that are good for health are also loved by the bees? You know, I was just literally over lunch today yeah. reading about comfrey. You know, and immediately it's like this incredible plant that's been used for healing for for ages. And yeah, who yeah. you know, every time you go past a bit of comfrey and on the verges, it will have at least five or six bees you know it's it's, it's just one of those plants so it's yeah. another thing just the, bees know. The, bees the bees know the bees know don't they they know yeah. they know there's a lovely saying oh. ask the wild bee what the druid knows yes and the bees know they and, and yeah. propolis comes from plants you know they, they're like herbal medicinal practitioners they're gathering all the best things of plants and bringing them back to their hive and oh, propolis yeah. is oh, things that keeps exactly. trees healthy it like stops yeah. the buds from getting a disease you know, and they know that and they take it and they bring it back and, and put it to great use mm. yeah well they've, they've, they've got 40 million years of experience haven't they? Well, they yes. have. <laughs> right well there's another episode for us plants and bees etc 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 we better go thank you Chris it's just always a pleasure to talk to you enjoy your mead send us your poetry that comes of it yes right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll see, what, see what comes see you next time everybody see you next see time you bye, bye bye be well <laughs>